The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, the last chapter, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Well, kind of come to the last page of the diary of a desperate traveler, so to speak. And uh, we certainly have not plumbed the depths of this book, but had an introduction to some of the wisdom and life that's contained in it. And so today we come to this last chapter And uh, really, these are the words of the narrator. As you remember, the book begins with uh, the words of a narrator, and then it kind of uh, moves into the preacher or Kohelet or teacher or the one who's speaking throughout the uh, majority of the book. And then in verse number 9 of chapter number 12, the narrator begins to speak again. And so today we just want to read verse 11 through 14, and I'll make um, four brief points for you today. So picking up reading in verse number 11, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 11, The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books or the making of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying, to the body. The conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it be good or evil. Do you join me for a word of prayer? Our Father, we love You and thank You for this wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you for uh, the hour before of Bible study and fellowship and learning the Word and praying together. We thank you for this corporate worship service today. Uh, Father, that we can sing together and listen to beautiful music and and give and pray and listen to an update about uh, the youth going to camp and uh, some of the work that you're doing in their hearts there. And then, Father, to open up your Word and uh, to, to see what you would have for us so that we could be conformed to the image of Jesus. I pray that in the next few minutes, you would help every person in this room to concentrate as hard as they possibly can upon your Word and upon you and upon the Lord Jesus Christ and how we can be more like you. Lord, I pray that you give me a clarity of thought and wisdom now as we speak your words. We humble ourselves before you We ask you to change us, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I guess if I was going to kind of play around with you a little bit today, I would say that you could maybe subtitle this sermon, uh, Closing Remarks or Before You Pack Up before you pack up. You know what, The uh, for those of you in here that uh, we do have a few who have pastored before or preached before, you know, one of the dreaded nightmares of any pastor preaching a sermon is when you get to the end and you say something like, now this is the conclusion, you can hear the zippers on the Bibles. You can almost hear the iPads being powered down. 
You can always hear the little, uh, the little rappers that moms are gathering up from children. And it's always discouraging because oftentimes the last remarks are some of the most important remarks. And so I want to encourage you not to be that way, both only today and every time that you hear the Word of God preached. In fact, a lot of times when I'm working with young pastors, I'll say, now listen, when you get toward the conclusion, don't tell the people it's the conclusion. Just go right into it and bam, hit them with the answer and then go into your prayer. And so I think that if we were to talk today, we would simply say that this is the last page in the diary of this desperate chapter. This is the closing remarks. These are the most important remarks in all of the book. And I would say that in some way, some of the remarks that are made here in these four verses are incredibly valuable and important for your own life. And so without sugarcoating it or putting a little candy with it, I simply will just point out these, uh, these remarks to you today and you put them into your life. So from verse number 11, I simply would say this, that we must make the Word of God of utmost importance in our life. Let me say that again. The Word of God must be of utmost importance in our life. We must be the kind of people and the kind of believers who have decided whether you're 10 or 15, 20, 30, 50, or 90 years old in here, you must be the kind of believer that makes a decided mark in the sand and you step over the line and you say that all of my life, whatever is left of my life, I am going to build on the firm foundation of God's holy Word. Come hell or high water, come wind or rain, come sand or storm, I will build on the rock of the Word of God. And what it says, I will do. And where it tells me to go, I will go. And who it tells me to worship, I will worship. I will make the Word of God the most important thing in my life. Amen? Look back at what it says at verse number 11. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections. They are like well-driven nails. And then look at the way he draws this together. It's not just any words of a wise man, but it tells you in this verse that all that has gone before in the previous 11 chapters, however pessimistic you might have thought that it was, whatever you make of what has been said in the previous 11 chapters, they belong to the one good shepherd, Jesus Christ Himself. These are the words of the living God. And God's Word says here two things about it in verse number 11. It says that it's like a goad and it says like it's a well-driven nail in the wall. A goad here simply is talking about a long stick with a, often an iron tip on it and it would be used to poke the cattle or to poke the sheep or, or to poke the livestock and move them along the way and to correct the course. And the Word of God works that way in our life. God's Word should be a holy goad in the side of your spiritual life. And brothers and sisters, let me just pause for a moment and give you some premature application and say this. If you are in some sort of Bible study or group of reading, or if you're going to a conference, whatever it is, if you go somewhere or hear the Word of God and it doesn't have a convicting component to it, then it is anything but Christly. If when you read God's Word, it doesn't have some sort of edge to it, some sort of conviction, 
Something that prides into your life and, and says, hey, this is wrong with your life. This is where you need to get right with God. This is what you're saying to somebody else that's wrong. This is what you're doing that you need to change. If the Bible does not have a convicting word to say for your life, then you're not reading it correctly. There ought always to be a convicting component to the Word of God in your life. And so if you are just in the habit of always having just some sort of Kodak moment with the Scripture, you're not really reading God's Word appropriately. Furthermore, I would say this. Whatever study that you do, if you study the Word of God and it does not convict you to love Jesus more and to love His church more, it's wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're doing a Bible study on gospel weight loss. Praise the Lord for that. That's a, that's a needed area. I mean, hey, Brother Steve needs a little bit of that. I don't mind that at all. But listen, if you can find some verses in the Bible that tell you how to lose weight, but if you study those verses and you don't come away with love Jesus and be faithful to His bride, you've missed it. If you're studying about how to get rid of that anger or that malice or whatever it is in your life, if you're studying 14 points on better leadership, if you want to know how to be a better parent, but you don't come away from the study to love Jesus and to love and be faithful to His bride more, you've missed the entire point of the study. It ought always to lead you back and convict you to love Jesus with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love the bride of Christ. Micah Fries in Chattanooga, I love what he says. He says, loving Jesus without loving His bride, the church, is something like saying that you're a fish and you don't like water. If you think for a moment that you can read the Bible and study the Bible and love Jesus Christ, but not really like to come to church or to be around God's people, you're not saved. Or you severely misunderstand the Bible. If you love Jesus, you love His people. If you love Jesus and love Christ and love, love His church, then you're probably reading the Scripture correctly. God's Word will always have a convicting component in our life that prods us and moves us and convicts us to love the Lord and to love His bride more and more every day. Not only will it have a convicting component, but I would say that it has kind of a keeping component, right? It has a way of just ordering your life. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a daily time of reading the Scripture... I want to encourage you to develop that. I'm not trying to beat you over the head. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Maybe you're in a place of life right now where you say, man, I, I'm so busy that I can't read every day. Well, maybe what you could do is start with three days a week or two days a week. Or, you know, if you're so busy, then maybe take maybe two hours some day during the week. Get a cup of coffee and read maybe 10 or 12 chapters at a time. Just have some sort of regular Bible reading in your life. And you will find that the more that you make the Word of God, a regular guiding place in your life, it will be like well-driven nails. Now, every guy in this room knows about nails that are not well-driven, amen? Unless you're, I mean, if you're like me. I can't tell you how many times my wife has said to me, hey, I would like for us to hang a picture there. I come, she comes home with a picture from the store. Do you know the dread of my heart, the great fear that I have in my heart? 
is those pictures where instead of just having like one thing in the back or a string, it has the two on either side. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. And you drive a nail in and you do, I mean, listen, you get a laser pointer, you try and balance that thing out and sure as the, sure as the world, you get it all hanging, you back up and your wife walks in and says, well, it's bent just a little to the left, isn't it? <laughs> now you wouldn't know this, but every once in a while, your pastor gets a little bit of a temper with nails. You ever try and drive a nail and bend half the nail? Right? And instead of just turning the hammer around and pulling the nail out and putting a new nail in, you think in your mind, oh, I'll just straighten this one out. And then you start beating it all over the place, scratching all the wall. Listen, God's Word is like well-driven nails. You can hang the pictures of your life you can hang the coats and the memories and all the things that are important in your life, you can hang on the nails of the Word of the living God. And sometimes, uh, sometimes people will come for counseling and I'll do my best to work with them and help them and go along. And I listen, if you come for counseling, I'm not just flipping. I don't just say, hey, are you reading the Bible? Well, you're not. Just move on your way. I'll help you. I'll do everything I can. But there are people that will come in and I'm telling you, the nails in the walls of their spiritual homes are shaken to the core. Their walls are about to fall down. They have no solidity in their life. And the reason why is they don't have daily, well-driven nails of the Word of God that are ordering and helping and guiding their life. And so I just want to encourage you today, get in the Word of God and read it. You say, Steve, I, I don't know where to start. That's why God gave you a pastor. You say, Steve, I'm not sure that I understand it. That's why God gave you a pastor. Are you getting the repetition here, right? Listen, pastors and teachers and deacons and leaders, that's why we have a collective church body. That's another reason why. Listen, if you think you can be a believer and you don't need the people that are in this room and you don't need to be here every week as possible and you think that you can live a good Christian life, you've missed it. You need the people here to love you, to encourage you, to challenge you, and to teach you. The Word of God is like well-driven nails. It should poke you and prod you and convict you, and it should also be by which you can order your life. And listen, just turn on the news and think of all of the ethical situations that you saw this week in the news this week. Think of the ethical situations that are going on in your friends' lives, in your family's life, in your life. And ask yourself, do you simply make decisions on what you think is the best or how you feel or what you think, all of that? Or do you make ethical decisions, the hardest ones that can possibly be made? Do you make those decisions upon the well-grounded and well-founded Word of the living God? Or do you make it on the shifting sands of your own desires? I tell you that believers far too often make decisions in their life that have massive consequences based upon the way they feel rather than upon what God's book says. Goads and well-driven nails 
And it comes from Jesus. And it tells you about the one good shepherd. All of Scripture drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time this morning. Luke 24 and 44 and verse 47. And Jesus began from Moses and the prophets and the writings. That's the three-part or tripartite opening of the Old Testament. And Jesus said, every single canon in the Old Testament speaks about me. All Scripture points to Christ. He is the hero of every story. Read the Word and love Jesus. Oh, I must run. Let me go. Verse number 12. Now look at here, but beyond this, right? So when he says beyond this, he's saying beyond this uh, last 11 chapters that you've heard from the preacher or this guy who has written this King Solomon, right? Beyond all of this, my son, isn't it now intimate, right? The narrator here of this passage, he has moved from speaking about Kohelet or the preacher or the one who has penned this book. And now the narrator says to his own son, he says, hey son, beyond all of this, my son, be warned, right? So if verse number 11, 11 gives us the word. Verse number 12 gives us the warning. The writing or the making of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearisome to the body. Can I just stop for a moment and say this? There may be some kind of small ancillary point to be made in that verse about like reading too much. Maybe you could, I don't know. I've heard like goofballs and pulpits say that before. Like, hey, you don't need nothing but the good old book. Don't read anything else. All that's hogwash. Listen, that's goofy. I don't even know if that's theological for you or not, but listen, you, you, should, be up. you should be reading theological books. You should. Most of you, you know what you do? You shop at Lifeway the way that I shop at the grocery store with my wife. I buy all the stuff on the ends of the aisle. Do you? <laughs> I come home, she says, where'd you get that? I said, baby, listen, it was right out there in the middle. And she says, no, Steve, that's where they put the expensive stuff. They're trying to bait you into that. I said, but baby, it looks pretty. Look at that. Huh? Of course we needed that kind of creamer and some sardines. Who doesn't need that? <laughs> Honey, no, you got you to gotta get back in there to where that aisle is and look down there on the bottom shelf and look behind that. Make sure, look, make sure they're going to rotate that. And so look to the back to get the date of the milk that's farther out. Listen, you go into Lifeway, you know what you do? You walk into Lifeway, you look for the first book that's on a shelf that looks pretty with a good looking face on it. Next time you go into Lifeway on Capitol, go to the far back left hand corner. Don't sell yourself short when it comes to God's Word. Read it, study it. Of course, there's room for daily devotions, but you ought to read more than that. You're adults. And I'm telling you right now, if you, had, if you went to work tomorrow and your boss gave you a two-inch thick manual and said, read that and you'll get a promotion and a raise, you do it in a week. I, mean, I, just, I, don't, I don't think I can understand that thing in there. I just... Heaven's sake, start somewhere. Read your quarterly. Oh boy. Stop, I stopped preaching and started meddling. I better stop. 
So what's the warning here? The warning really is not having to do with like just reading a whole bunch of books. What he's saying here is this last 11 chapters, the warning here is to go behind, go beyond what the preacher or what the guy that wrote this book where he went. He had all the money, all the resources, and he stretched life to the edges and he got all the way out there. He drank everything. He went everything. He was with every woman. He did all of the things that you think will bring you satisfaction. He got to the edge of everything and said, there's no satisfaction. It's all obscurity. It's all futile. And there is no help under the sun. It must come from above the sun where God is. And the warning to every person in this room is, don't see if you can outdo the guy that wrote this book. Stop trying to find satisfaction in anything and everything in the world and find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Here's the third. Look at verse number 13. Right? So if we have the Word and a warning, verse 13 gives us a way. I don't always alliterate, but when I do, I'll try and make it easy for you. Verse 13. So look at here. Here's the conclusion. When all has been said, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. I told you a few weeks ago that Martin Luther said that there were two kinds of fears in the Scripture. That is the penal fear and the familial fear. And what we want to be driven to more often than not is the familial feel of a fear of understanding that God is our Father. And yes, He is just. And yes, He will bring judgment. But that God provides for His people and that He is good and that He is merciful and that He is kind. And we ought to be in awe and fear and respect of God because of His goodness and His mercy that He will provide for us. Fear and faith go together. He that believes... Uh, he that believes must believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Fear and faith go together. Not to run from the mighty angry hand of God, but to run into the loving provision of God through Christ on Calvary's hill. I don't have time this morning to take you back, but I will show you at some time this fear. We do not have the fear that Adam had after he sinned in the garden where he was running from God. We have the fear that the children of Israel were supposed to have at Mount Sinai. God said, draw close to me. And throughout the Old Testament, whenever God comes down to earth and meets with people, death must happen. Whenever a holy God comes to a sinful earth, death must take place. Just look at it throughout the Old Testament and you'll find it. But you know what the people said? They said of Moses, you go. And you come back and you talk to us. And when God came to earth in the New Testament, He came through His only Son, Jesus Christ. And death must take place in the New Testament when God meets an ungodly earth just like it did in the Old Testament. And when it did, rather than Moses going to the mountain and coming back, rather than Isaac being spared by the ram in the thicket, the Son of the living God died on the cross and took all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt into His own life and died for you so that you could have eternal life through Jesus Christ what is the fear? What is the reverence? It is a run to a good God who brings and pours out His judgment, but not on you, on Christ. Fear God. And because you fear Him and His goodness on Calvary, 
Now live a life of obedience to Him who loved you and gave Himself for you. Verse number 14, and we'll finish. So if verse number 11, the Word, and verse 12 is a warning, verse 13 gives us the way to live, I would say verse 14 speaks a little bit here uh, in, in, of the white throne judgment, right? For God will, future tense, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Brothers and sisters, there will come a day in the future where you will stand before the living and the mighty God and you will trembling give an account for your life. And those in that day who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and King and had their sins washed away, they will pay for an eternity in judgment for their sins. But those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus will be able to stand that day not on their own merit, not on what they have done, but they will stand covered in the blood-soaked sacrifice of a mighty Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made us righteous by His work alone. Amen? There's a great day coming where the saint and the sinner will be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day? I keep a diary or a journal. I call it a journal because it kind of seems girly to me to call it a diary. I don't know. And I think of the last pages of my, my journal. And I wonder a lot of times, you know, if anybody will ever read it in the future. And sometimes on those last pages, I'll, I'll just sum up what I've written in there. And, you know, mine's just sometimes doodling or sermons or, you know, thoughts that come to mind and things in church life. But a lot of times on those last few pages, I'll write that what's some of the things that are the most important in that book. And I don't know if anybody in the world will ever give a flip or not, but I'll tell you this much this journal you better pay attention to. And when it comes down to the last, he says, you need the Word of God and you ought not to, you ought not to live a wicked life. You ought to be warned not to go beyond Him. He says here that you ought to fear God and keep His commandments. Why? Because there's a great day coming. How are you living? When you walk out of here today, will you listen to the last words of this journal? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing together. I'm going to play a little music. We'll sing together. Hey, just as I said last Sunday, there's nobody looking around. At least I hope not. If you want to be kind to those that are around you, why don't you just pray for a moment? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you ought to fear because an eternity without Jesus is an eternity in hell fire. But if you'll look to a good God who provided a great Savior and throw yourself on His mercy and ask Him to save you, He will right now. And if you'll ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, this church and this pastor will help walk with you in the life of Christianity and help you keep His commandments. Many of us in here today, we need to kind of think and pray and say, Lord, the Word of God must be of utmost importance in my life. I want to encourage you. Make those decisions. 
You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.